Hi, my name's Elijah and welcome to The Roots Podcast, an interview channel that shares the stories of people in hospitality, whether it be in the restaurant, out in the field, and those in the media. It's a retrospective look on the passion, ambition, and drive involved in a competitive industry. Roots Podcast is proudly supported by Sydney Direct Fresh Produce, the fruit and veg supplier led by Luke Kohler, who has provided Sydney with some of the best in local produce since he was 16 years old and still smashing it out today. Let's get on to the episode by introducing the next guest. My next guest is Thomas Gorings, the head chef of the one-hatted modern Australian venue, The Gantry. But before that, he was head chefing the likes of Echelot, uh, Barrel, sorry, Echelot and Barrel and Bentley Restaurant. But where did it all start for him? And what was his journey like? It's all been relatively undocumented until his time at The Gantry when he's starting to get famous at the media shooting Bloody Keekerman now. <laughs> yeah, shooting ads, <laughs> shooting ads for Keekerman, proper, proper celebrity chef. But if there's one thing we know about Thomas for certain, it's in the words of Joel Bickford, who I recently had uh, a chat and a bit of a banter to. Now, he wouldn't give out too many you know, lucrative stories that would be maybe some inappropriate, but he did want to say this. He said, Thomas is a great talent with a great palate. who's always thinking. And I've always had the pleasure of watching him grow from a 17-year-old skinny chef to an awesome 30-year-old chef who's still really fucking skinny. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a great way to start, you know, because it goes to show how much that he, as a mentor to you, has been able to watch you grow and bust your ass off and see you change and develop as a chef to get to where you are now. So it must be for you kind of a bit, almost a bit surreal to have these kind of comments come back at you now at this stage of your career when you go through kitchens like Echelon and Bentley to be where you are it would be surreal to hear these things from someone you looked up to as a mentor you know in the industry yeah definitely um I think Joel was definitely the biggest influence on my career and uh the chef who really opened my eyes to what the food industry is and what hatted restaurants are and um how the system kind of worked I think prior to working with Joel at Milton Park I didn't really understand like I didn't I didn't know what a hatted restaurant was. Even having worked at one, I still didn't know. Like, I just thought Otto was this crazy restaurant, like cranky out amazing food, but didn't didn't understand the the value of a hat or the weight of a hat and what it means to restaurants. Um, and Joel really really opened my eyes to that world and really showed me um, kind of how how big the industry was and and how broad the possibilities were. Um, I remember him bringing in the bank book one day um, and kind of reading through that and it kind of plays out like a, a day in the life of a three hut restaurant and um, goes through all the chefs you know they're coming in at 5 30 in the morning and all their mise en place and running around and the kind of craziness um, and for me like that really kind of was like a light bulb moment and and kind of lit a fire in me and made me want to strive to be a chef like that and to to work those crazy hours and cook that amazing food and and be a part of something kind of bigger so um yeah i think joel joel definitely is someone that like i really look up to and hearing hearing him kind of say those kind of things is yeah it's super nice like it's funny that you say that this idea of kind of like being a bit brainwashed you know what i mean but that's a that's a different conversation i'll go down for another time but in terms of like all these subconscious things that you pick up as a chef when you're in the kitchen like you know 12, 16, 18 hours a day, you know, depending on your career and, and how brutal it was. And all these little things that you pick up. I was talking to Tristan Rosa from Arthur and we had this like really relatable conversation about, for example, uh, the first Hatter restaurant I worked at is how we particularly fold the chucks cloth for your station. Yeah. Like how you like neatly fold. It. It's like this OCD, right? Where you, yeah. that you pick up as a chef. But um, I do that now 
and I make sure like, you know, all my fucking, you know, 1-8 containers are like perfect and radio for service, like this OCD. But I got that from my first head chef because that's just how he did it. And I almost just like subconsciously picked it up. Are these, are these little things that happen to you when you, when you look back? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the best examples of that was when I was working in Canada, um, I was working at a nice restaurant called uh, Barefoot Bistro. Um, really nice food like beautiful place had like you know fresh foie gras like halibut from vancouver island um we're getting kobe from like japan like uh caviar from all over the world white truffles from alba like the best of everything um and working on the garnish section there i had a guy that i worked with uh called scott who was um i would kind of relieve him on his days off on the garnish section and then we'd work the kind of busy days together um and he was super ocd about the way he kept his section and the way we did the mise en place and way we packed everything away and we would have a competition who could leave <laughs> the section better for each other like when they were coming in the next day yeah, like yeah, we, yeah. Would, we would try and leave it as perfect as possible so <laughs> that he would like roll in and have to do nothing like everything was done and like yeah, yeah. you know kind of perfectly lined up like back bags and like labels on containers like exactly in the yeah, middle of the yeah. container and cut, cut square and like it was yeah it was really nice like I really liked working with him and it kind of fed that fed that OCD passion within me so <laughs> but yeah no definitely kitchens it's it's like good and bad it like really feeds that it feeds that OCD in you um but in a in a positive way like not in like you can really use it to your advantage yeah you almost take it home with you as well you know like you yeah. get home <laughs> and the way you clean your own kitchen or the you know you've got like dishes to do or washing and then you've got to like you know clean the house and you almost have this like okay okay i've got to put the washing in first because that takes the longest and while i can do that i can manage this it's <laughs> yeah. like putting you know something in the oven you know like yeah it, it gets you into this mindset it's so funny that people just don't think about like people think when you like clock off being a chef at midnight you know that you stop yeah. being a chef it's you like just, you just leave it in the kitchen yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. It comes, no no way it comes home with you for sure like, yeah i'm i'm writing <laughs> prep lists on my days off of like all the chores that i have to do and, and like trying to organize my time so, yeah yeah no it's, it's definitely like funny little funny little things that you pick up and they just like permeate your whole life yeah yeah it's so funny but like for you you would sort of start to see this develop through your career because you know when you first started what was it an echelon uh so i uh, first working with joel we first worked together at uh, milton park so i started well, i guess my kind of cooking career started at kfc when i was in oh high that's school. right that, yeah, was, yeah, that yeah. was like my first my first proper kitchen job Mate, mine's red rooster so we're in the same yeah, game yeah. here gold fast food boys so. <laughs> but, um, no that was i liked working there like that was a great job like yeah it's sick definitely like you know you don't you don't really learn like much in terms of like cooking yeah but like in terms of like organization 100 like, yeah. workflows sense of urgency all of those things it's all transferable skills that yeah definitely help me but you don't think that. about when you become a professional yeah, chef you're like yeah. man those like bloody Poor kids yeah. down at Red Rooster, you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's a shame. But you're like, man, they're actually learning something pretty valuable when you think no, about it. Definitely, yeah. It's like, it's pretty crazy how, like, I'm sure Red Rooster was the same. Like, KFC, the oldest kid there was like 18. They're yeah, the store yeah. manager. Like, the whole the whole store is run on like 16-year-old kids. 100%. Like, it's impressive that they can, they're able to organize a kitchen yeah. in such a way that you can. You such can a young age. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. still have a consistent product. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, started at KFC. Um, spent a little bit of time at Otto, um, was kind of my first proper kind of chef job. Um, and then through a mate at TAFE kind of, he was leaving Milton Park. Um, so I, I kind of moved my apprenticeship there, 
started working with Joel and, and we really clicked. He'd just started when I was when I started there as well. So we kind of really clicked together and he took me under his wing and um, kind of brought me up to speed and um, I moved with him to Echelot and we spent a few years there together. Did you um, move because of him? Uh, yeah, Joel, yeah right. Joel got the head chef job at um, Echelot so I, and I really wanted to kind of... Oh, sick. Yeah, I really yeah, wanted yeah. to be a part of that and I, I'd known Richard previously um, so it was kind of felt like a good move and um, yeah, no, it was awesome there. Like I loved, I loved working at Echelot. It had like really great kitchen team, you know, three of us in there, um, kitchen gardens, like, like I know Joel said in the kind of podcast when, when you guys had a chat about like jamming upstairs after service. And yeah, it sounds like, sick, eh? Yeah, it was like, it was compulsory to play an instrument. Like, had to, you had to play an instrument to work there. So. Did you play the banjo? Or? Uh, the, the guitar, we had, we had far too many guitarists. Like, oh, dude. I think about 18 of us wanted to play the guitar. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it was almost like a fight who got to, so... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, but... Um, but, that, but that'd have been sick. But, like, Joel was telling me, you know, his, his time at, at, at Echelot, like, how small the kitchen was before it was extended later, which I worked at, staged at. And he was saying, like, how tight it really was working in that kitchen. And, yeah. And, like, how tight the team was, the space. But, like, you know, being able to have that, that garden and, and kind of the time... And that's, I don't know, kind of like the, the, the passion, surrounded by the passion to really push off each other, you know? Like it would have been kind of a cool environment to be in. Yeah, definitely. And like touching on the garden, like I think that really like, or for me, that kind of showed me just like how simple food like can be so beautiful and so like have such an impact on people. Like one of the dishes that we would get the most positive feedback on and the most comments about was just the garden salad like and it was it was because it was you know lettuce that was cut like half an hour before service started and um beautiful herbs picked out of the garden and you know we it was just simply dressed it was like olive oil and lemon juice and that was it but it was like tasted amazing like it tasted like no lettuce you've ever tried before because it was so like so fresh and so nice and um it really gives you that appreciation for you know the work that um producers put into growing things and um it makes you appreciate more like what you've got because it's when you're the one growing it like you realize like it's not easy 100 like, percent. and like if you like fuck it up and like don't water the garden properly or yeah. don't plan ahead and don't like you know fertilize the soil or do anything like that like you won't have lettuce for the salad like it just <laughs> won't be there like and yeah it's, it's like i think that for me too like really changed the way i thought about food and um just trying to like showcase like the beautiful kind of natural flavors of things and like show them for what they are and really highlight the produce yeah a hundred percent like uh, even just to add to that like the value that chefs can get going out to these farmers and like local farmers and producers to to understand what that's like from that end like because to a chef you know they go to the delivery door of you know the, the delivery guy comes to them and and they're getting all this produce but it's that's where it cuts off for them like they don't appreciate the, the three six months that it took to grow something yeah. all that hard effort before it even gets to them and we spend a couple hours just kind of prepping it you know and and if it if you burn it go it goes in the bin it's like it's it's crazy like you're, it really changes how how you treat that produce when you go like for the especially for you know Pelissa at Boon Lux doing, doing or Dylan from Newcastle you know like it sticks you know what I mean like all these great producers doing wonderful things but for a side conversation but to continue on your career after Echelot where did you go from there because you eventually became head chef yeah so um, after Echelot I moved to Canada so yeah, um, yeah. 
Richard, the owner of Echelot, had previously lived in Whistler um, during his kind of younger years. He was he was kind of living the ski bum lifestyle, like uh, <laughs> skiing and partying and um, working in a few restaurants over there. So he he kind of put that idea in my head that that was a that was a pretty good thing to do, and it definitely was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went I went from Echelot, went to Canada, worked in a little French restaurant called Le Gros um, when I first started there. There was like French bistro, just like classics, you know, like escargot en croute. We had like frog's legs with garlic and parsley sauce, uh, rabbit chasseur, coq au van, you know, like all the, all the classics, yeah. um, which was amazing. Like it was two of us in the kitchen, 150 covers, like just pump it out. Um, but like really nice, simple food. Um, so I worked there for six months for the first kind of winter season that I was there. Um, and then in the summertime, they pretty much closed down. Like the, the tourism trade is more set, more focused on winter in this like, Right. Um, for the so, Richard Kemp's of the yeah, so, of the industry, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> after that, I um, I was looking for another job, and there was a restaurant called Barefoot Bistro in Whistler that was kind of the best the best restaurant in Whistler. Um, had like three three stars in there. Um, good food guide in Canada. So that was like the that was where I wanted to kind of go. Um, so I applied for a job there, started as a commie, um, just wanted anything to kind of get in the door um, and ended up staying there for almost three and a half years. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, so I left there as uh, senior Sue. Um, so yeah, but that was that was an amazing experience. Um, big kitchen team, you know, 40 chefs doing um, big wow. covers. Like we were doing on a busy night in winter, like in peak season was like 500 covers a night. Wow. Um, so That's mental. Yeah, crazy. But yeah, like I was saying before, it was just the produce we had there was incredible. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it was just a different world in terms of um, the amount of money that people had coming there. Like they could easily spend $500 on dinner and like not even Yeah, play. yeah. Um, so... But yeah, that really, really introduced me to a lot of a lot of things that I'd never seen before, and um, like I'd never even worked with foie gras before, and then going over there and seeing like fresh foie gras coming <laughs> from Quebec, and you know being able to to visit those farms and going to caviar farms on Vancouver Island. That'd have been sick to learn yeah. about all that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. So um, yes, and then after that, I came back and um, stopped in at Echelot to kind of say hello to Richard and. At the time, he was kind of looking for a looking for a bit of a hand in the kitchen. Um, so I, I came in a few days a week just to help him out, um, and then that eventually grew into a head chef role. Oh, that was the head chef role then. Yeah. Oh so, wow. Yeah, I started it. Well, my first proper head chef job was at Echelot. Um, so that was yeah, definitely like that was awesome. Like knowing the kitchen, and knowing the garden, and having that relationship with Richard definitely helped. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, we, we were kind of, the first year I was there, we were lucky enough to maintain the hat. So like that was, that was definitely the goal, you know, just- that'd been, now, That would have been stressful as a chef on a side note. Yeah. Cause that, that was your first head chef? Yep, yep. See, so how was that just, just quickly, like mentally for you? Cause that'd have been a lot of pressure to- Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. It's scary when you're, when you're the head chef and it's like, all eyes are on you. You know, you've got to you've got to come up with the food, and everyone in the kitchen is looking to you for direction. Um, and it's a big it's a big transition to make from being a sous chef, where you know you have menu input and you're coming up with one or two dishes here and there, and um, those kind of things, to being in charge of writing like 18 dishes. Like yeah, you've got yeah. to come up with like 18 bangers and make sure everything is good and everyone's trained and understands what you want and 
Um, you can't yeah, fuck it up. Yeah, definitely. Like, and <laughs> you know, it's it's your responsibility at the end of the day. Like, you'll you'll get the kind of glory if things go well, but like, you'll also get the blame if if things don't. So, um, but yeah, no, that was that was definitely nerve wracking at the start and um, kind of second guessing myself a little bit on like, is this dish good enough? Like, is this going to be nice? Like, are people going to like respond well to this? But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think just. You've just got to kind of trust that you, that the food you're putting out is right, and you know believe in what you're doing, believe in the produce, believe in the dishes you're making, and um, just try and try and do things that you think are right and that you think people will enjoy. Did that? Did that pressure double when you go to a place like Bentley, and it's it's a two-hatted venue? Or? Um, a little bit. Bentley, uh, <laughs> I think Bentley was Bentley was good because I wasn't I wasn't the head chef there, so I didn't have that that kind of. <laughs> pressure of menu creating but, but it's just like the the techniques making sure that because in the back of your head you're like you know you've got the pushing head chefs you've got a high standard to go to and you know potentially depending on what their outcome is like that like brent or aiden really want to push this to be whatever it is they want to be like always being better and better and better yeah and having that extra pressure as a chef there you're like okay uh, you know every just like i suppose you think about it in every kitchen but now it's like more pressure to make sure every technique is just refined and every time you know what i mean consistent is like yeah definitely yeah um yeah i think definitely working at benley there was like even if you compare it to echelot there is benley is a lot more attention to detail there's a lot more kind of finesse in the right. cooking there's a lot more steps um and yeah absolutely like coming knowing knowing that um the like understanding that pressure that's on brent and aiden and um, the guys there, you definitely want to help them as much as you can, and you understand why why they're doing things a certain way, and why they need need you to recreate things exactly as they want it, because it's it's their vision. Like, and if it goes wrong, it's it's not going to be like the the guide or um, customers aren't going to blame blame you for being on the garnish section and you know overcooking their potato or whatever. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna look at Brent and Aiden and say like that wasn't yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah. right. Like so yeah you've got to you've got to make sure you're doing your part to kind of uphold the standards of the restaurant and I think that's that's kind of half the fun of it too, you know what I mean? Like it's it's nice to kind of um, cook somewhere and push hard and and know that you're working towards something that's like you know like greater than the sum of its parts like all of those all of those things in amazing restaurants like Bentley um, kind of click together to build that greater experience like it's not just one dish that makes the experience of Bentley it's it's all of the dishes and the wine and the service and the dining room and all of that kind of stuff like builds to to mm. make Bentley what it is yeah I'd imagine it would have been pretty pretty good like so from Bentley, like in terms of working at Bentley and now having almost different mentors, you got Joel Bickford and you got like Brent and Aiden. Was it after Bentley that you go to, to Gantry with, with uh, Joel again? Yep, yep. So it would have um, nabbed you back. Yeah, so Joel Joel uh, had moved from Bioda and taken the head chef role here at uh, Gantry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we we'd always kind of chatted. Like I'd always stayed in touch with Joel throughout my whole career. So. Um, when I heard he was here and was looking for a sous chef, it was like definitely like an appealing kind of job and um, just really wanted to be a part of the team to kind of help him build towards like winning a hat. I know that was like a kind of big goal of Joel's um, when he first came here. And um, yeah, it's just nice being part of like building towards something. Um, like maintaining something is awesome as well, coming into like a well-established kitchen, but 
building those systems and, and building that reputation is, is super fun and um, definitely a challenge. Like it can be a real challenge to change people's opinion of hotel restaurants. Mm. Um, yeah, because I know there's like a lot of people will have preconceived ideas of what, it, <laughs> what it's going to be and what it's going to be like um, and trying to kind of break those break those kind of molds a little bit and show people that it like it can be genuinely good like it's not necessarily like a cookie cutter corporate kind of a restaurant you know what i mean yeah so, yeah yeah that like that'd have been great so coming over to the gantry kind of being back with your original mentor and, and and being able to develop that kind of relationship again because i mean it more or less worked out for you you know because where you are at the gantry now being the head chef it kind of would have been a you look back in a retrospective way, but it's a pretty good move on your behalf, you know, because now you've got this opportunity to kind of be back in the kitchen with the freedom to be able to do the things you love doing way back at Echelot when you were head chef there. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, despite, like you were saying before, just because the hotel chain that there are multiple teams ongoing all the time, so you don't kind of just be using a hot plate because the, you know, breakfast needs to be using it, little things, but you still have that freedom over the menu. And, and that, as a passionate, passionate chef, can be really invigorating and really recreate that environment you want to recreate you know because yeah, you've got definitely. this headspace you've got these all these ideas and you're like man like now I'm in the position to really go hard on it it can be a lot of fun like yeah yeah it's really great. inspiring no it's amazing like it's so it's so nice to be able to kind of put forward things that you believe in and, and you know use the kind of produce that you like you know we have amazing amazing suppliers that um, give us like you know we've got pasture-raised chickens from Little Hill Farm in the Hunter Valley and um getting like amazing beef from uh, West Tom Wagyu and David Blackmore and um, Camden Valley veal like from you know that's they're doing like the Torello Rosé veal down there and um, all these people that are really doing the right thing um, and you're you're able to support those farmers and those businesses and and show customers like this is an amazing product or this is something that I personally really believe in and I think like that you're really going to enjoy if you if you come in and have dinner so um, yeah, things like that is is amazing. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that like gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, makes me <laughs> makes me want to come and work like the long hours and yeah, um, yeah. Like it's it's yeah, it's really like a it's a great feeling like knowing that you can um, like make make these special occasions for people and and give people these like amazing experiences and um, you know when people are coming in for dinner and it's their anniversary or their birthday or like special occasion whatever like you you kind of put that effort in and make it nice for them and, and give them give them memories and moments that they'll they'll kind of remember and enjoy yeah I mean, that's what it's all about right like you, yeah when you forget yeah. about the food like and you think greater than yourself you know this this kind of experience as a whole that that you forget that that's what people really value when they walk away from your restaurant yeah definitely like you even even as chefs you know we go to restaurants and probably analyze like everything that we eat and we're kind of picking apart the dishes and um that'd be on call when it opens yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> but um yeah for like you but even then like i walk away from you know amazing restaurant experiences that i've had in the past like you know eating at Rockpool and stuff like that like i don't necessarily remember every dish that i ate but i remember the experience and the feelings that it gave me and the way um, I was made to feel welcome and the kind of you know, the, the experience as a whole you remember rather than how perfectly seasoned that piece of John Dory was or you know whatever whatever was on the dish so. yeah 100% I mean even we've, we've talked about this before even with Jamie is that when we look back at the restaurants that we really love spending our time at 
it wasn't about this kind of fine detail to the food you might see at some certain restaurants, but it was kind of this, this experience that we had where we just were able to sit back and have a laugh and the food was great, you know, having banter, like, and that, that's the restaurants that we kind of value more, you know, not this kind of bougie, you know, sense of, of a restaurant, you know, and, and it kind of, you know, and I think that'll change for fine dining. What I really want to know, serious question, is when are you going to dig down to your roots and bring uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken on the gantry menu? <laughs> maybe maybe on the bar menu, potentially. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think With I might... Gorge Chicken. I'll, yeah. have like a, I'll have a lawsuit. The Colonel Sanders family will be after me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. All right, we're on to the final question here. And it's the same question that I've asked every guest this season because I think it's a real humble way to look back at your career and point out some of the times that though was crazy in the moment was also quite retrospectively funny in thinking how the fuck did I, I end up here in a kind of wow I've really grown as a chef you know like I wouldn't do that now and that's why I asked this question and so I'll ask the question and then preface it with a backstory from the previous guest and so the question is is what was the most funniest or craziest time you found yourself in the shit as a chef in the kitchen you can think about it you got good old day to get your best stories. Uh, and I'll preface it from uh, Dre Walters, who's the uh, co-owner of Old Mate's Place on Clarence Street in CBD. And he was saying back before Old Mate's when he was uh, managing a bar, doesn't really matter which one, he was working on a Tuesday and had two of his staff. They had a lot to do that day. It's not like they were you know, busy. It was just kind of prep, had a few things to do. And they found themselves getting to like three or four um, and they hadn't gone on a break yet. And Tuesday's kind of a relatively quiet night if you think in the city, you know, it's not too busy. So he's like, oh, it's four o'clock, you know, we'll be fine. I'll just send, send you guys on a break. It'll be fine. It's all good. I'll, I'll manage it. And so, you know, sends them on a break. And as soon as he goes, like 40 guys come into, the, 40 people come into the kitchen. And he's just looking around like, what the fuck? Like, these are my odds, you know? Like, of course this would happen. Always happens. And so these people come down and start like mingling and carrying carrying on and, and one of the guys comes over to him and says, oh, can we get like, what was it, like 20, 23 Negronis? And he's sitting there thinking like, you, you joker, you absolute joker. Like, I'm here, here, like, you know, just sent my people on a break and now i got to do this for you. And he's thinking, you know, fuck this. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with a bit of pride. So he's like, how can I do this smart? So he asked the guys, like, can I just make these in a bucket, man? And instead of getting the fucking, you know, stir and shaker and whatever it is, like, in small quantities, he's like, can I just do this in a massive bucket? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So he's like, cool. Gets a bloody a bucket, <laughs> washes it out, starts pouring all his, like, negroni in there, puts all the ice in there. And he's thinking, oh, this is great. You know, this is easy. But um, more and more people come coming in and more people are waiting at the bar to order drinks as opposed to this group. And he's thinking, nah, like I can't handle this. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down. This is getting a bit crazy. So he tries to message some people in the, in the, you know, in a couple of the bar venues around him. And he's like, shit, message him quickly. Get back to making these cocktails. Getting his glasses lined up, all cold and stuff like that. And he gets like five or ten minutes in. He's like, get no replies on his phone, no buzzing. And he's looking. He's got no reception. None of these messages went out. And he's like, now he's starting to stress. He's like, shit, all these people are coming in now on a fucking Tuesday. I got my guy. Well, I can't even text because he's out of out on a break 
going down. He's like, shit. And, and as he's making these agronies and he's got all cocktail orders going on, he's running out of like lime juice and lemon juice and he doesn't have enough cold glasses. And he's got his like chef in the kitchen, got dockets coming out the ass. They're just like lining them up. And he's, he's like running around going into the kitchen and the chef has the audacity to ask him, be like, oh man, are you all right? Did you need a hand or something? And Trey's like, man, I think you got more pressing things to worry about there, buddy. You're going down. You got one chef here. What are you talking about? And he's running out and coming out back. He's like, fuck, I don't know what to do. So he texts his, like, his girlfriend. Um, because he didn't have reception, no, internet reception, but he had phone reception. So he quickly texted his girlfriend and said, hey, can you come here? I really need a quick hand, you know, love you forever. And gets back to it. He's trying to like polish glasses while he's got people ordering drinks. His guy comes in after his break, after like half an hour, he's like, you all right, man? And Dre's like, get the fuck in here. <laughs> I need your hand. And he's just literally thought at that point that the wheels are going to fall off until his missus came in put on the bloody the apron as a bloody hero and just made him like help them save the day like doing the little bits of prep they needed for all their cocktails and literally at that point he thought that was going to be it for him like this would be the day where they they actually go down you know what i mean and they're just like it stuck with him in his head and i think that's really funny you know because now he's like i'm never fucking sending anyone on a break (laughs) so therefore it translates over to you in terms of one time you found yourself in a shit um, I think the worst, the worst I've ever been in the shit uh, was working at Barefoot Bistro. Um, just because of the volume there, we, we could do some serious covers. Um, and it was probably like a Thursday night or something. Not, not one of the busiest nights of the week, but still in winter. So still probably had like 300 covers booked. Um, and we, I was working on the garnish section that night. And we are coming up on a table of 16. Um, and the meat guy had been kind of struggling all night and he was, he, we would work side by side. He was on the, the next stove to me. Um, and he, he sent all his meat up and every, every piece of meat is the wrong temperature. Like nothing is right. The sous chef is losing it. Like she's, she's throwing trays at him. Like the whole, all the meat's gone back. Like everything in the bin, everything is wrong. Um, all the garnish in the bin, like start again. We're, we're restarting this table. Um, and he's like the meat guy's lost it. Like he's in tears. He's in. He's just packed his knives out the door. Like doesn't doesn't want to know about it anymore. He's had enough. Um, so I was I was kind of thrown onto meat and was just like kind of bail him out. Like we've got to we've got to fix this. Um, I had no idea what he had. Like what how he'd organised his section. What meat was what temperature. Like and was just kind of madly like feeling all the meats. Like trying to find out like which were medium rare and what and scrambling trying to get this order organized um we had another table eight get called away like immediately after the 16 um nothing is ready like and i just filled up the stove with pans and just started <laughs> indiscriminately cooking meat like i just pulled the whole section out and was just like cooking everything everything i had in the section like where it's getting cooked like that's crazy um, so we still we still had probably 150 covers to come by this point and like i was so deep in the shit i wasn't even looking at dockets like i was just just as long as i had everything on the stove and i had you know kind of all the pans full we were gonna have the right meat somewhere in there and was just you know going through the meat tray like the resting tray like everything was cooked medium rare and it was like looking at the listening to the calls and looking at the dockets when they were called away it was like you know one one medium rare one medium one rare and just like this one feels pretty rare like that'll pass as a rare this one's a medium rare like carving one throw it in the oven like yeah, let, yeah. It, let it take a bit more temperature throw in the deep fryer yeah that's that's medium now like that can go just like the gypsiest cooking yeah, yeah, yeah. ever but like we we got through the night but yeah i don't i don't think i ever want to cook like that again definitely like and 
I think it's you know it's it's kind of like a learning a learning moment that like you know you want sometimes you want to scream at chefs and especially when they make mistakes but it's not necessarily getting the most out of them like screaming at the meat guy kind of made him leave the kitchen like our, our life definitely would have been easier with him there <laughs> like we could have you know like definitely kind of pull him up on his mistake but maybe don't don't shout at him at, to the point that he wants to walk out so um yeah kind of kind of two lessons there don't don't get in the shit on meat and and don't don't scream at your staff to the point that they leave especially the meat guy <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah definitely don't scream like even if the dish hand walked out yeah, like yeah. imagine how in the shit you'd be with no dish you like yeah, you'd be like Dre so, Walters yeah, exactly. all over again. <laughs> yeah. Got to wash your own glasses. It's fine. Yeah, definitely. So. Done. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. I think that's a funny story to finish on. So I really appreciate that. I think, like you said, it's really, you know, you learn a lot of lessons from these times in the shit. So it's, it's fun to share and talk about these things. So, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Mate, no worries. There's no cameras. This is genuine. Yeah. <laughs> genuine handshake. <laughs> for people who didn't hear the slap. Uh, yeah, cheers for that. Appreciate no, it. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Done. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard and you want to stay in touch, go follow Roots underscore Hospitality over on Instagram for the latest guest news soundbite and anything podcast related. And you might even get some cheeky food pics along the way.